today, I'm here with Katja and she's going to take us through, we've just uh, had a bit of a pre-chat about uh, what we were going to talk about today and there's a fair bit going on to kind of try and get through. So um, Katja, could you tell us a little bit about who's in your family and where you're living? Yeah, absolutely, Jen. Thank you for having me on today. So I'm Katja Williams. I'm based here at Dubbo, New South Wales. We're on a farm, which is approximately 20 minutes north of Dubbo. And um, my family is made up of myself and my husband, Ned, as well as our three children who are currently four, almost three and almost 12 months, so quite close together. You've got your hands full then. Yeah, you get definitely in the trenches there, as they say. <laughs> definitely. Someone keeps telling me that if you have boys, you do your hard yards early, and I'm really hope that is true based upon my three-year-old at the moment. <laughs> I guess I am. I'm hoping that as well because I have two very big climbers and uh, they just get into all sorts of mischief. They're best of mates and they are just going into that age where they take themselves off and, you know, if you can't do them, they're getting up to some sort of trouble. Uh, I know. I end up screaming Eddie's name like a mad person because he won't respond. <laughs> He's usually just two foot in front of me where I can't see. And you, um, you are a really busy lady because you have your own podcast too, don't you? Do you want to give your little podcast a, a shout out? It's not little at all. It's up to a third season or third or fourth season. Sorry. Yeah, so we're just about to launch season four. Um, yeah, it's been going really, really well. So the idea behind the rural mum is interviewing those who have moved to the farm for the first time or back into a family business. It's designed making sure that we're sharing tips hikes and delivering tools and information that are helping people move to the farm to the first time or back into a farming business where you know they're able to find their identity their footing how they fit in the place um, and really overcome those unique challenges to the agricultural industry particularly family farming businesses and it's just it's going so well I'm so happy where it's up to and we've explored some really amazing stories from all across Australia and a couple of American um, Canadian episodes as well. Oh, I might have to check those out, Canadian American. That's really cool. Okay, so why don't you kind of um, dip us in? Because what we talked about off air was that we were going to pick up. Um, you've got some interesting um, health stuff yourself, um, which influenced the way in which you wanted to birth um, and having your babies, and then some stuff postpartum as well. So. Um, I think, why don't you tell us about how you decided to start a family? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I first met my husband, we had the conversation very early on in our relationship about uh, having kids and what we thought our family would look like um, and how we would raise our kids. And that sort of seemed to be a little bit of a natural conversation for us very early on. Um, We were only really dating not very long um, because that was something that was really strong with both of us, what we were sort of looking for in the future. And then we didn't have uh, too much trouble falling pregnant um, all three times with um, either of the kids. Uh, That seemed to be quite a natural process for us, which we were very lucky and blessed with. We were quite mindful in... Um, nutrition and fitness and and all of those things prior to that. Uh, I also had some very mixed intolerances and allergies. So I knew early on that that may 
play into the birthing process of, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to have a lot of the pain relief medication. I couldn't have an epidural. So I wanted to make sure that with the birthing process, particularly I was well-informed and well-educated on my rights as the birthing person, the options for if it did take a turn that I had the tools to be able to um, deal with with what was coming with us. Sounds to me like you had a lot of considerations up front early before, you know, you even start to think about um, whether or not you want to go private or public. You're starting to think about all of these other considerations that you have to have around the end, really. A lot of people just want to make it to 12 weeks, but you're like, hang on, I have these other things I need to consider first. Yeah, absolutely. And we were, with my first pregnancy and birth, we were right in the middle of that 2019 drought and we were right in the middle of that. It was really tough. And I don't think in the moment we really realised how tough it was until we came out the other side. Yeah. So I knew that there was a chance that if something happened, maybe I couldn't get to town, maybe I couldn't get to hospital. Um, my husband may not have been able to make it in because the farm does come first. Yeah. And um, so we lots of different considerations up front. And so I went down the path and track of hypnobirthing, which I did through the Centre of Midwifery here in Dubbo with Rachel Bassett and learnt that self-empowerment, learnt that breathing, learnt my my rights as the birthing woman as well, which also led down the path of going, okay, I'd like to build a relationship with my health practitioner and choosing who the OB might be there at the time of the birth. Um, and so we went to our first OB appointment and it did not go well. It was not a great fit in that uh, she wouldn't, the practitioner wouldn't look at my husband. She wouldn't answer any of his questions. And when she did the first scan, um, you know, he practically had to climb on top of me on the bed to see the scan because she wouldn't show it to him. <laughs> oh my goodness. He'd be probably Ill, better off reading it than other people might be. You come from something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we walked out of that appointment and I said, look, I think from my research and my resources that this is not how the appointment is supposed to be gone. how this is meant to feel. We're not meant to feel yeah. like this. Yeah. So... I'd done some research and I knew there was someone else in town. So I went back to my GP and I got another referral to another OB in town. And from that first visit, I was just completely at ease. He answered all my questions. He was happy to answer Ned's questions. He was happy to consider alternatives to um, C-section and, and alternatives to, um, you know, the medication or the epidural. So he was happy to facilitate the hypnobirthing. He was happy to facilitate, you know, alternatives. We ended up with my first, the way he was positioned. I had a lot of back pain during the actual labour. So um, we'd had those talks with my midwife team and with him prior to that to having some injections um, of water, sterile water into my back onto my pressure points oh, um, would cool. release that pain. Did you end up having yeah. sterile water injections? I'm happy jumping because I, I got really excited. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely did. And I needed them for my first labour and they just made a world of difference. I went from I can't do this to 
right, wave by wave, we've got this. Yeah. So how was your pregnancy? To How did it progress? Um, so all three pregnancies progressed really well. Um, everything was on, on point the majority of the time. I did have to have um, some iron infusions and some additional supplements towards the third trimester. And my acid reflux with all three was horrendous. I just, I felt like a fire-breathing dragon. Such a rough road, isn't it? Absolutely. I ended up sleeping in bed like completely upright. I just couldn't lie down at all. (laughs) There actually, they think, is some truth to the old wives' tale that if you have really bad um, reflux that your babies are born with full heads of hair. Is that true for you? They all definitely had her, but not as much as I have seen on other babies. <laughs> not as much as you thought you'd earned through your reflux. Yeah. <laughs> they should have had golden locks. <laughs> okay, so take me to the day. Um, so pregnancy progressed pretty well apart from some reflux, or not some reflux, but some serious reflux. Um, and then take me to the day you went into labour because – um, from my little bit of Instagram stalking, I can see that your firstborn was a um, early 2020 baby and the drought really peaked at the end of 2019. It was a really rough one, that one. It was. It was It was really rough. Um, I had woken my husband up quite early in the morning and I think it was around 2am and I said, I think we're on. Um, I've been tracking contractions for an hour and they're not progressing, but they're stable. And, uh, at that point I hadn't had any Braxton Hicks. So I was thinking, oh, I'm still a bit early. I was only around the, the thir- end of 38, early 39 weeks. And, uh, he said, oh, okay, well, wake me up if they don't stop. So, uh, <laughs> she went back to bed. <laughs> And I woke him up at five o'clock in the morning. I said, no, definitely they have not stopped. They still haven't fed up, but they, they are, they have been constant for hours. And so he said, all right, no worries. I'll go do the drought thing. And he left to do the drought run and left me home to, so he could make sure, you know, everything was fed and all, all everything was done. And he said, oh, no, they say the first one takes forever. It'll be fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up getting up and I ended up cooking like a hot breakfast, which I then couldn't keep down because of contractions that ripping it up. And I, I put all the washing on the line and I got all the freezer meals that I put, um, made previously made in the fridge for him because I, I knew we were just, it was such a busy period. I thought he's not going to eat if I don't put these, these meals in the fridge for him. Yep. Um, and I rang him about nine o'clock and I said, you get home right now. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not going to make it to the hospital. But we did, of course. Um, and it was actually quite a long labour. Um, Eddie wasn't born until I think it was 6am um, that morning. Okay. That, that, sorry, that the, the next morning. The next morning. And so it's quite a long labour, very consistent, um, but they think it was because of his position that he had to rotate and he wasn't rotating until after the water injections, after we'd taken the pressure off. And what point did you have the water injections? Do they have a like a protocol around that? 
do they say, you know, you have to be three or four centimetres or in active labour or do you remember? I don't remember. I remember he was born quite soon afterwards because once the injections were given, I got into the tub uh, and I had three water births in the tub. Right in that last part of labour, I didn't want to be walking around anymore. I didn't want to be moving. I wanted to be in that tub and I didn't want anyone touching me. (laughs) You knew what you needed and you were good. Yes. (laughs) Take me to, Kasia, those um, water injections, they're meant to be quite painful. Do you remember if they were painful? I remember demanding them. I remember the pain of the needle going in, but the relief that it gave me afterwards was like a flow on my body where I just got, just, I knew that I could continue birthing my baby. It just gave me the space that I needed. And then I just jumped straight in the tub to have um, my water birth. So I had three, three water births with each of my children. So with your, um, with having water injections, was that one of the only pain reliefs available to you? Is is that why they, they were keen to try that for you? Because you were saying you couldn't yeah. have Panadol, you couldn't have um, an epidural? Yeah, yeah. So it was one of the options. And right towards the end, when I started bearing down, I did have a little bit of gas. Yes. Um, but they were the options um, that were presented and that were, were a suitable fit. Okay, cool. All right. So, uh, and so you're, you get in the tub and you have Eddie and his earth side and everything goes fairly well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my husband was a big advocate for me. We'd also really early on um, in the process of, of moving to the farm and getting married and, and going down the avenue of birth, spoken about whether we would or wouldn't do public health insurance that included pregnancy and birth. Yeah. And we decided, yeah, absolutely worth the dollars because at that point, Ned was then my advocate for staying in hospital because he said, and I knew that I needed to stay in hospital to establish breastfeeding and let my milk come in and let the hormones and everything settle down because once I was on farm, we just hit the dirt running. Um, day five postpartum, I was on the bike mustering with this newborn baby strapped to my chest. Day seven, I went back to um, being the driver of the drought feeding vehicle. So we would leave the house at 7 a.m. and we wouldn't be back till well after lunch. Um, and then some days we'd have to then do a quick change and then head out to our second property and do the feed and the water run out there as well interchangeably. So we just kicked off and then I'm trying to breastfeed and I'm trying to drive the vehicle and I'm trying to listen and, and give orders and things like that as well. So it was very full on once we got home. Yeah. Tell me, what are the, like, what are, what is, what does the public and private birthing scene look like out at Dubbo? Is there a private hospital? Is there a private options? Like, I'm even impressed that you were saying that there's two private obstetricians in uh, where I am, it, there are no private obstetricians now. The last one just retired. So um, yeah. it's not the best options. <laughs> there there are no options. I think that's that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were really lucky in our timing because sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't, sometimes there's a wait list and you can't get in 
Um, the is a private hospital, but they don't do birth. So the only option is either home birth or um, through the hospital. So the private health changes when you go through the private um, through the hospital system is you do you want to opt to have a choice of your own um, OB or do you want to use the midwifery team and whoever the on-call OB is whether that is someone who's based in Dubbo whether that's someone who's here on flying flying out yeah okay radio okay so it's um you can have a private obstetrician but you still will be birthing in the public hospital yeah yeah okay Cool. So we come so we come home and we hit the ground running with Eddie. At what point do you say, okay, I've got this essentially very, very busy lifestyle under control. Let's add another body to to us. <laughs> well, Mac was actually born fourteen months later. <laughs> oh. Okay. Cut it instantly. <laughs> so I had said, um, I was doing my research on birth control and I hadn't really made up my mind. I was a little bit airy-fairy about that. We, you know, considering my medical history and considering everything else going on the farm, it was sort of on the back burner. And I sort of said, if I do want to go on birth control, I think what I'd like to do is make sure that my body is back into the regular swing of things. Because how will I know if something's different if I start birth control early? How do I know there's no complications or any changes in, in who I am and what my body's doing? Um, it's good health literacy, actually. It's I would never have thought of that. And I'm an allied health professional, so quite good health literacy there. Um, and by the time we sort of got, you know, down that path of, okay, I think I'm okay with taking, you know, this certain birth control, I was already pregnant. Oh. <laughs> so, because the time just flew between, you know, all the drought yes. feeding and, and all of that, I just, I don't think I'd realised that much time had gone by. I know. And, and because we work in seasons, I think as well, I think at, out, the months will fly by and all of a sudden, okay, we're into this or we're into that or it just goes so quickly. Yeah, yeah. And our work didn't really dip or slow um, at the end of the drought. It sort of shot up into this additional elevated space because then we were dealing with carving with way too way too much feed and we couldn't get them off the feed. <laughs> yeah. So that's a tough time to be a new mum as well. Yeah. I, um, I'm really grateful for some of it because it meant that I did very quickly learn that Eddie was very adaptable, uh, that I could leave the house, that I could still do a level of farming um, like I had before. Yeah. So really grateful it got me out of the house. It, it got me to slowly build, well, not really slowly, but it got me to build the confidence of having, you know, this new baby that depended on me. Um, where I was like, well, here's where I am and I am what he needs at the moment. So that's okay. I felt like I could do that. So doing the grocery shopping for the first time or, you know, having to drive to go and pick up fodder or do you know, a parts run or something like that didn't seem as overwhelming if I think I had started in the house. Yeah, I get what you're saying. You, you'd already broken your teeth on that from such an early day, so it was an easy transition. Yeah. So take me, what, what's your second born's name? 
Macquarie. Macquarie. So take me to, um, you find out you're pregnant with Mac. Bit of a shock, I'm guessing, because it's not that far after having Eddie. It was a really happy surprise. And I use surprise loosely because, you know, I wasn't on birth control, so we weren't really... Well, I just didn't think it would happen. (laughs) Yeah, I get with you, yeah. It wasn't on our radar, so very happy surprise. Uh, We'd always wanted kids close together, and so that pregnancy progressed pretty well and as well, so just the acid reflux, same as the other one. But his birthing story is a little bit different um, in that, you know, we have an older son, so we had to get organised, you know, that last-minute call-up for someone to look after Eddie. The drought had broke. It was right on the cusp of COVID taking off. Um, so Ned had only been into, I think, my dating scan right at the beginning when we found out we were pregnant. Yeah, really different experience, hey? Really different experience. So I'd done all the appointments myself, and it was at the point where it was like, can he come in, can he not come in? Um, he ended up coming into into the hospital and into the birthing suite, which I was so grateful for because I had sort of thought, oh, well, it'll be the same. It's the same process. It's the same practitioners. It's the same hospital as before. Everything will be okay. It'll all progress the same. And I had expectations this time of, oh, it'll be all be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's where, it, where you get caught, isn't it? When you, and, yeah. So take me to, take you to being into, I guess you're in the hospital um, did you have the same pain relief again? So I didn't need the water injections this time. He was positioned perfectly. Uh, so You're an absolute and- warrior. I can't get through a headache ah. without two Panadol. Mindset. Mindset. Oh, yeah, I need to work on some mindsets. Yep. Yeah. And um, so... Yeah, got there. Everything was progressing beautifully. We waited longer to go into the hospital. So um, the trip into Japan was a little bit more bumpier um, and not as easy as the first time. Yeah. Uh, but we had got there and I'd gotten straight in the tub and the midwife hadn't noticed me progress into active labour okay. because I was still using the same hypnobirthing okay. techniques and everything. Yeah, she was like, I thought she was just lying there relaxing. <laughs> oh, I, I think hypnobirthing's pretty obvious when somebody's actually really kind of <laughs> centred themselves into that hypnosis. Yeah. And uh, so you so she panicked a little bit. Oh, she panicked, okay. Yeah. Uh, so she panicked a little bit and called in the second midwife. And. The second midwife hadn't been briefed on what we were doing and what was going on and that it was hypnobirthing and that I had nothing on board um, except for the breathing and the bath and the techniques. And so the second midwife comes in, realises he's frowning and just panics and says, well, you can't have a water birth. You, You can't birth him in the water. And so she starts hugging me and trying to pull me out of the tub, uh, which broke my hypnosis. And um, right as he's crowning, like right as I really need to be breathing and concentrating. Oh my goodness. Um, which I think just yeah, sent me into. just touching you, like touching yeah. you at your permission, like breaking your yeah. space, breaking your bubble. 
Yeah, and my husband said he has never been so scared of me in his entire life because he said you just had this control that I see boys. He said it was the first time I'd seen your eyes open in a couple of hours of labour and I just turned to face her and I said, you let me go and drain the tub. Like there was no way they were going to get me to move while he was crowning, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. And was it they were trying to say like a hospital protocol because you'd had birthed in the water before? What Was it just this woman didn't get the memo or...? Uh, she didn't get the memo and because my second birth was uh, faster than we had thought that it was going to be, my private OB hadn't had the time to get to the hospital so um, they hadn't gone through that process and she just wasn't briefed on, on all of it. Okay, so... The, the, that hospital, you can actually birth in the water. She just wasn't across what was going on for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so within, you know, the heat nurses being broken and him being born was less than 30 seconds. Like it was, it all happened so quickly. The so, tub had only just been drained. And did the, the tub get drained in all of that? Yeah. <laughs> it, did, it did get pulled and... The, the, the first midwife who had been with us the whole time jumped in and caught him because with my first birth with Eddie, um, with the breathing and with tracking where he was, I actually naturally reached down to, to grab him and pull him to my chest, whereas I just, I had no idea what was going on at this point. So she jumped in, caught him, um, and then they cut the cord straight away and took him away. Well, I was like, that's... Um, um, that was supposed to be delayed cord clamping and that was supposed to be, um, where is my baby? <laughs> Why is he not on my chest? Um, was there any rationale for that or was it just like everyone had kind of just not got the memo and then because it had become this kind of crisis situation that of their own making that they just kind of diverted from plan? Yeah, I, I really think it was just that second one. Um, she took him away, she dried him off. Um, checked him over um, and then by that point I'd been helped out of the tub and taken to the bed and that's when he got given back to me um, and I sort of thought well I don't know if that immediate connection that I got with my first son was broken a little bit Yeah. and I sort of thought well how do I know this is my baby <laughs> you know those random thoughts that pop into your brain at the time absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But, and it could My be one like two her. minutes, but to a mother, it's yeah. paternity, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And my husband was like, no, I watched him. This is definitely how <laughs> I'm going to challenge that thought for you and push it back down. Yeah, he was like, you don't need to be thinking like that. <laughs> um, so then we did our hours of skin on skin. Ned had his skin on skin. I had my skin on skin. I had had a shower. We'd been moved to the ward. And then Ned had gone back to the farm to get our first son, Eddie, and bring him back in so he could meet his brother. So nice. Uh, but as they were walking into the room, really not the instruction we wanted. As he was walking into the room, um, all the staff were wheeling me out to the ICU. So I'd hit my brother. And I think because I was a second-time mum, the response wasn't very quick um, and it was kind of like, what? <laughs> What's going on? What do you want? Um, and I I couldn't see, um, like I had spots in my vision. I had an acute headache, a severe sensitivity to light um, and 
and then they were like, oh, oh, okay. And so, noted my son. Do you realize that though? Like, you're sitting in your room, are you holding your baby? Like, you're by yourself. Like, that's yeah, I just started to not feel right. I, I was, I think I was just in stepping through the paces mode. I had just I started, I was holding my baby and I'd been feeding him and I thought, I just don't feel right. Um, so I'd put him down and then I sort of felt a little bit faint and a bit queasy and then everything hit so quick. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can't see. And I couldn't find the button. <laughs> I was like feeling all over this bed. Um, so then, yeah, so they were rushing me out. And I was saying to Ned as I, you know, left the room, I remember saying, grab my baby, grab my baby. Um, so Ned sort of didn't know what was going on either because no one was talking to him. We were all just heading up the corridor. So he had Eddie under one arm, uh, who was 14 months at the time, and then he grabbed Mac and he was racing up the corridor behind us. Um, so all the way to ICU where they'd put a, um, like an artery tracker in. Okay which I think was more painful than the birth itself. My goodness, that hurt. Yeah, right. It must um, be absolute. There's women out there going, well, that must hurt, <laughs> right? Because if birth is painful, then that must hurt. Yes. So you're going along the corridor, you're headed up to ICU, Ned's behind you with Eddie and Mac, Like what? and they're putting this artery tracker into your arm. Are they actually telling you what's going on? Can you see what's what's actually happening? My time and sense of, of when and where things happened is very warped uh, from that memory. And I, I remember them talking about, you know, options and, and possibilities, but they didn't really give the diagnosis or talk to me about the postpartum preeclampsia until I'm basically discharged. So not during the time, well, not that I remember, during the time that this was all happening. And it, I think it took a couple of hours until I realised that, you know, Ned and the boys weren't there anymore. So I sort of came back into the land of where everyone was from wherever I, you know, had been. Yeah. So how long did you spend in ICU? Uh, overnight. Just to, just the night with, so it was postpartum preeclampsia. I've yeah. That's is that rare? That sounds like it's very rare. I I hadn't previously heard of it. I've never heard of it. Yeah. Um and so I think it might have been, you know, a delayed shock from from the birth, from that um abrupt awakening right as he was crowding. I think it may have been delayed shock, but that was the official diagnosis of it. Okay. Um, so I spent, so he was born in the morning again. So, um, I had spent all day and a night in ICU and I remember panicking when I sort of came to and being like, well, where is my baby? He's not in the room with me. And I knew I had birth. I knew that he had been with me and I had been feeding him. Yeah. Um, and I remember Ned coming up the hall and having both of them with me in ICU. Uh, and so I called the nurse um, in and asked her and she said, oh, don't worry about that. He's, he's in the NICU and he's been given formula and all of these things I hadn't... No one had a discussion with you. <laughs> um, 
And so Ned had had to go back to the farm to do the farm run and he wasn't, they weren't allowed in ICU with me. They, you know, through, because this is COVID. Yeah. Um, so he'd gone back to the farm with our other son and then I was like, oh, Max in the nursery all by himself and I can't feed him. And I had the intensity to like, I need to feed him and I need to be with my baby. And I couldn't get to him. And that must so it's so been a, powerless. Oh, it was, it was devastating. Um, it was devastating. I remember calling Ned up and just crying to him <laughs> about it. And he was like, it'll be, it'll be fine. I, I know the midlife in there. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Um, so as soon as I was stable, uh, enough, um, they put me back on the ward and I got reconnected with him and that was really lovely. And we spent a few days on the ward, just the two of us. Um, again, which my husband advocated and pushed for and really glad with the private health that we were able to extend that leave and not have to worry about the financial costs or anything because it was already prepaid up front and, and covered by private health. But I would have thought that a best practice would say that you would stay for an extended stay on the basis that you haven't had the best start. You know, you're coming out of ICU, you're trying to bond with your baby, you're trying to establish breastfeeding, You've had postpartum preeclampsia. I would have thought that that would have been a no-brainer. You wouldn't have to advocate for that, surely. Maybe you would think just so, but they my simple brain. They were so restricted on bed, um, really. Um, so on private health at the hospital here, you have your own room, um, but if you're not on your private health, you're on literally a ward. You could be in a room with with somewhere between two and four other people who've just given birth. Um, so they really, really tough. And it, and it services such a large region of this area as well. So people travel in from further out west, um, like Ningen and Burke and, and all of that, to have their babies as well. So it's really got quite a high demand yep. um, that goes through the birthing section there. So really high demand and really limited, really good resources, but limited resources. So they try and do turnover um, as quickly as they can. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and it was still very much along the line of, but it's not your first. Um, so because of all the rain with the drought breaking, we actually had a really late harvest. So it was a really late harvest in 2021. So... Similar with Eddie, after my extended stay, I got home and then I was on the bike with a toddler and a newborn, um, you know, trying to feed everyone down the paddock or, or trying to get, you know, going to town and do a parts run, you know, something to do with harvest. So I had these two babies and everything was go, 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 go on the farm. Because we're mixed farming as well, we don't really have a down period. So we go straight from um, the next one thing to the next yeah but you were, had been unwell Katja did you not what was it what was your um discharge treatment was somebody saying um you need to do this this or this or were you on a treatment plan like did you have to go in regularly to have your bloods monitored did anyone what was the follow-up care like that you were trying to mitigate while being a new mum and having a toddler and running this farm business no it was um, I mean, we had community nurse checkups, yep. um, which were every couple of days. 
Uh, but um, until the six-week postpartum checkup, there was nothing. Yeah, right. It sounds like such a big leap, isn't it? Like I was in ICU and then I was discharged and then nothing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and so I, I wrote a letter to the hospital because the other thing was I was really trying to find where I could put a report in to the hospital to say this is what happened. Um, I'm not complaining. I just don't want someone else to go through the same process as what I did. I really How can we don't learn want from that this? practice. Yeah, let's yeah, do I, They need to have a debrief. I want to make sure they've had a debrief. I want to make sure they've talked about how that's not acceptable um, and how that's broken, you know, something. I don't know if it's broken protocol or, or what it is, but I don't want that to happen to another mum. And it took me months to write a letter, find someone to give my letter to about that at the hospital. So this was maybe six, eight months postpartum when I finally got a response and I finally got the right email address to send that to. You think that that would be quite easy to do, but no one knew who to send it to. Best practice um, navigates that as a health professionals, we should always be reflecting on our practice and thinking about how yeah. we can do it well or better. And I, for me, it's I would just be like, well, it's as simple as like if somebody's hypnobirthing, it's known from the start and they have a sign that's on the outside of their door, mummy's hypnobirthing in there. Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, like, I'd bought my own sign to stick on the door. See, you're a problem solver. These are all women. They are practical problem solvers. You can't yeah. find the creative solution. You make it yourself. And that's the premise yeah. of this, isn't it, in itself? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, did you ever get any feedback about it? Uh, so the hospital offered, um, they said, in the future, if you're going to have another birth, We'd like to offer um, free counselling sessions in the lead up to mitigate any anxieties you may have. Okay. But when it came to that with number three, uh, which is Caroline Elizabeth, um, they were like, "Oh, no, we don't, we don't offer those services." Or, um, "Oh, I don't know why they would have said that. You'll, you'll be fine." <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, why? <what? laughs> yeah. So, um, so that you didn't get those services? No, no. So I went and found my own um, help and support in that sector. So hypnobirthing is really good for that with the breathing techniques and and things that they change, which helps with you know some of the stressing stress of motherhood and yes. you know just remembering to breathe and slow things down. So I was still using those techniques from the hypnobirthing. Um, but being on the farm and not slowing down was quite stressful. And then when the hospital said they, you know, they weren't going to do these services that they had said they could provide, I went and actually found my own counsellor. So um, during uh, the drought, the government had put up a drought funding for counselling for farmers. Yes, they did. So I found a really beautiful counsellor through that. Uh, and then when the drought broke, the funding didn't end, but it was reduced. And so she was one of the counsellors who left the funding program um, to continue on with her business. Yes. Uh, and I tried a few other counsellors through that service and they really didn't mesh. Uh, and I knew from listening to some other podcasts that if you're not getting the help and the support you need through one practitioner, 
the same as birthing, the same as all of that, find someone who fits. So all I had was a first name and that she was a counsellor and I searched for months just with those two little key searches to try and find her and I did end up eventually tracking her down and I was so grateful she had a spot to fit me in um, to talk, you know, life and farming and, and you know, the potential anxieties for going into a third pregnancy and birth after after that birth of Max. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that you would have to try and reestablish your trust with your care team. Yeah, yeah. So, so you worked through that. How did you go with Caroline? Um, really well. So went through the same OB, um, the same hypnobirthing practices, um, the extra counsellor on board. We had um, we had some nicely spread uh, sessions in the lead up to the birth, um, and then a couple of tighter sections. Um, just beforehand and just after, just as a check-in and, and a solution. And I really think that all really helped. And the whole time along the process, I was quite clearly communicating to my husband, Ned, and he knew where I was up to and he knew what I was researching and what I was thinking as well. So he knew where I was at the whole way through all three processes and particularly into Caroline's birth yep. um, to know where I was. I was definitely making a... Um, an effort to tell him where I was up to and, and what my anxieties were and, and how I was working through them because it was important for me, for him to know. Yeah. How was her birth? It was it was a positive experience? Was it a healing experience? Yeah, very positive, very healing. Um, another beautiful water birth, um, no interventions needed. Um, and my husband and the midwife team were just so supportive um, we let them know what had happened when we first turned up to the hospital and, and um, the last time and, and spoke them through the process. And they did offer um, in the moment a lot more um, support in, in what we needed, just offering, you know, some additional comforts and um, some additional alternatives to Ned um, and let me sort of do my own thing. So I said to them, this time Ned is going to be my advocate and he's going to or communication needs to go through him and if, if he needs to discuss something with me um, then he will do so and I will just do my own thing this time <laughs> yeah and you came armed with your hypno I am hypno thing in this room sign did you use your sign again I did yeah yeah that's but awesome. then you yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Anybody out there who's going to hypnobirth, take a sign with you. I would never have thought of recommending that. That's definitely going to go in my this little book of clinic notes of top notes that when I have women come and see me, um, I remember I take little bits and bobs from other people of all their little creative solutions and I always so that will be high on my list to share with somebody else. Yeah. And we had a speaker system and we didn't lights and so I could have my, my tracks playing. Um, out loud because I didn't want um, ear, earbuds or anything in that might fall into the tub. <laughs> yeah, that's actually quite a clever thinking. I wouldn't think of it that far ahead. So if there was somebody out there um, in similar situations to you thinking about birth, thinking about hypnobirth, what would be, and they're in a rural setting because sometimes, I mean, you said there's a, a hypnobirth practitioner 
in your local area. I don't think there's one in mine. What would be some of the things that you would suggest to them to seek out, to make sure that you have in line for editing to their birth? Yeah. Um, I think research is really empowering. Um, and if you're researching something and it makes you feel uncomfortable, listen to to your body, listen to your mind about that. Um, but know that, know your options, know some alternatives. Um, become okay with having a plan, but knowing that things may not go accordingly. Yeah. Um, talk to your partner about what they can do in the birthing room with you, what you might like, what you might dislike, giving them options for how they can support you in the moment. I mean, you never really know in the lead up, um, but listening to your body because your body is designed to birth your baby and to feel empowered about that really helps go through the motions and remind you in that tough stage of bearing down that you can do this. Um, that really, really helps having a caring care team that you've built your relationship up with and trust was really important to me. And I think that really helps on all three birthing occasions, being able to have that trust in them and then reestablishing trust after the fact as well when things don't go to plan. That took a lot of you being open though as well. Does that make sense? Because we talk about trust as a currency we talk to about it when we talk to our teenagers about you know sneaking out and all the rest of it but trust is a currency and so they had misused their currency with you so they had to win it back and you had to be open and receptive to letting them earn it back so that took a lot of work yeah absolutely a lot of work um and really I think it's really important to tap into yourself and tap into um, where you're at and where you're feeling, giving you the time and the space to do that. I know that it's not easy uh, when it's in between changing nappies and feeding and working out all the different cries and remembering to feed and shower yourself, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but really making the space to connect in back in with, with yourself and how you're feeling. And I think something else that I would like to mention is doing your research on the um, like your hormone changes and how things influence that as well because um, so on a between Mac and Caroline I went on a um, like a pregnancy preventer like a tablet like a mini pill or yes. something yep. that and if you're not feeling yourself if you're putting on weight and you and you feel flat or you don't feel yourself, um, then do talk to your GP about that as well because it could be, particularly if you haven't been on the pill before or you haven't taken certain medications until after postpartum, really keep checking in with them and talk to them about that when you do do your postpartum care or when you're not feeling, just book the extra appointment, particularly if you have a relationship with your GP. Um, or check in with your partner because sometimes, you know, you're not yourself. Yeah. And too easy people, when you try and chat it to people who care about you and people who are in your circle as well, a lot of them fob it off as you're sleep deprived, you're 
um, you know, that mum life. But yep. you know yourself if, if you're not okay. Like putting it on postpartum when you're like, actually, yeah. no, it's not part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be a piece of advice that I would give is, is do your research on that. And if you're not feeling yourself, um, then you know yourself better than anybody. Uh, please see a professional and not just keep going with the punches of what others are saying by just bobbing off motherhood as motherhood. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katja. I think there are so many people that will hear what you've got to say and go um, not only with their hypnobirthing signs, but they will, um, some people might not have even heard of it as an option. So it might now be an option for them that they can research and look into, but also having strong health literacy and advocating for yourself and not being afraid to advocate for yourself. I think they're the clear takeaways I can hear from you. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you so much for all that you're doing for people entering into um, farming or trying to get their fun, their feet and their identity in, in family farms. I think it's incredible. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. Her herd recognises the traditional lands and waters on which this podcast was recorded.